If you want to go to heaven when you die, you must obey the two greatest commandments. That's a heavy word to start out the entire message. But if you want to inherit eternal life, if you want to live forever with God in heaven, if you want to be raised from the dead on the last day when Jesus comes back, you must obey the two greatest commandments. And these are it. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Over the past three weeks, we have um, used different stories throughout the Bible to expose the real, authentic, and act of neighborly love. That's what we've learned from. What, what it's like to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Over the past three weeks, we have learned what's at stake if we do not love our neighbor as, as ourselves. And that is that people all around us will continue to live in the darkness without the knowledge that the true light, which is found in Jesus Christ, has come into the world to seek and save the lost. So we learned what it's like to love our neighbors as ourselves. We've also learned, man, what it's like if we don't do anything about that truth. The theme of love thy neighbor is born out of the idea, not that I made it up because it's from the Bible. I just decided to preach on this because... I have this idea that we, the church, should take more seriously the call to follow that command, the second greatest commandment. So those who follow Jesus, those who have lived a forgiven life, those who believe and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for their sins, we are called to live a new life, a life in which love is the defining attribute. That's what we should be known for as the church. But the land in which we live... The voices of our society have encouraged hatred, quite frankly, not love. We're encouraged to burn the bridges we once built with one another, to back into our corners, remain huddled with those who agree with us, and then shout across the aisle at those who don't. We live in a time where the volume at the national conversation level regarding the treatment of people has been turned up so loud it's just become noisy, just a lot of noise back and forth. Everyone with a platform or a microphone, which I wrote this and then realized I'm going to be that guy with the microphone. Everyone with a platform or a microphone has thrown their opinion into the ring, haven't they? About immigration, sexuality, safety, law enforcement, leadership, governance, fair treatment, racism, human rights, etc., etc., etc. And sadly, from what I have noticed from my minimal experience shepherding the church of God... I have seen the church all around our nation be influenced by noise-making. We just go along with it. We've been influenced by the way the world has taught us to treat one another. So this is why it's important that we spread this message to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is why it is important that we are reminded about the message of Jesus as revealed in the Bible. The message that says, Jesus has paid the debt of sin that we all owe to God through his death and his resurrection. He's paid the price. The message that says the Son of God, Jesus, came into the world to seek and save those who were lost, which we all once were. And by his death and his resurrection, he and only he holds the power to forgive us of our sin. He is the only one who holds the power to free us from the bondage of our sin. And he's also given us his righteousness, the thing that saves us from the coming judgment of God. This is called the gospel, the good news of the Bible. And so this message is for all people in all places at all times. No one is excluded 
from hearing this or receiving this. Our job is to continually be about this message as the church. This is our number one focus. This is the foundation that must be held. In fact, it, this message is what must be the foundation of our lives if we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Even in attempting to love people just as much as we love ourselves, we will never accomplish that unless this is the foundation we are standing upon. The good news that Jesus Christ has come into the world. This gospel truth is, must, not is, must be first evident in our lives if we're going to truly love people in the same way we love ourselves. Because if not, if this, not, if this is not the foundation of our lives, we, we live with this false hope of eternal life, this false sense of security. And all the love we will give to others will not be done so that God would be glorified, people would see this amazing Savior. In fact, it'll just be done for us, to the glory of ourselves, to make us look better, to feel better about ourselves, to be seen as someone who's upstanding and righteous. Friends, our good deeds, those things that you do in service of others, they do not hold the power to move you from sinner to saint. That's not how it works. Every good thing that we do for others is because of what God has done for us. It's never to earn God's love. We act in ways because of what he has done. So here's the big idea this morning of the story of Nicodemus, which we'll get into in just a minute. Here's the big idea. The love for your neighbor or neighbors, the love that you have for your neighbors should reflect the love for your God. Okay, The love that you show other people should just be a reflection of how much you love God. And so today's story, we see a man. We'll learn about him today. The love he showed his neighbors, he thought his entire life that the love he showed his neighbors would earn the love of God on his behalf. That's why he lived the way he lived. That's why Nicodemus is the way he is, because he thought that if he did the right things, God would love him. And so let's look at the man first. Verse 1, Sky Bible will take care of it. We should have it behind me. See, we're the only church that has a Sky Bible. Pretty cool, huh? Nicodemus, says that, verse 1 says this, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. That's the, that's the man of the story. He's a Pharisee. Okay, we'll get into that in a minute. His name means victor of the people. He's a ruler. He's a high leading ruler of all the Pharisees. Like he is the guy on the top of the pyramid. He's a ruler of the Jews. His whole life revolves around the teaching and the understanding of the law of God as revealed in the Old Testament. That's his whole life is consumed by knowing the law of God and then teaching others how to live according to the law of God. Now, in short, men like Nicodemus cared for one thing and one thing only, teaching and upholding and telling people about the law of God. Now, I've said the law of God a few times. Let me tell you what the law of God is. The law of God, I'm referring to what God gave to the man named Moses to give to his people. A lot of laws, quite extensive in the Old Testament. Some that we look at today and go, what? I love shrimp, right? How can I not eat that? You'll get that joke later. But real quick, when I say the law, here's what I'm referring to. The law of God, which was given to Moses way before Jesus even walked on the earth, way before Jesus even showed up. But because of the passion that Nicodemus had and the excitement to see the law of God rule the hearts and the minds of people, Nicodemus and all his people, all of his crew, they totally missed the intent of why it was given in the first place. The why of something always dictates how we act towards it. The why of the law was missed. 
Because the intent of the law, let me break it down for you, and we'll just spend a few minutes understanding the law. The intent of the law of God, as revealed through the Bible, was designed to act as a mirror for your life. It's a mirror. When you look into the law, when you judge your life against what God has said, all you'll see is the dirt left on your face, right? You're dirty. Just as a kid looks into a mirror when they're done playing in the mud, I have five, I know what it's like. They see the dirt on their face. They see what needs to be cleaned up. Our lives against the law. That's what it's supposed to do. We're supposed to look into the law of God and say, well, I blew that when I woke up this morning. That's what it's supposed to do. And it's supposed to help us hope for something greater. Nobody can keep the law perfectly. Nicodemus must have missed that. And all of his people must have missed that. But the the reason that God gave the law was to actually point to himself. Because he's showing us, here's all that I require oh, that's right, you can't keep it, can you? Well, then you need something greater. You need a savior. The law of God exposes our need to be clean. It exposes the the dirtiness of our hearts and our minds and our souls. It reveals our inability to live according to his perfect standard, making us sinful failures. Ironically, the man who knew the most about the law of God lived the furthest from God. Don't miss that. The one who knew the most about the law of God lived the furthest from God. His passion, this is Nicodemus now, his passion to follow the law and make sure all others knew that he followed the law did not produce a loving neighbor. It produced a lazy narcissist. He was prideful. He was arrogant. And we'll see later that he really didn't do much for anybody. He was busy following the law. Nicodemus used the law as a weapon. He used it to condemn others. He used it to show others how unworthy they were. He was an unloving neighbor, alienating those who desired to truly see God, pushing people aside who wanted to meet with God. So we see Nicodemus wrapped in this pious morality of of his good life coming at night to meet the most famous rabbi he's heard about, Jesus. Now, coming at night seems a bit strange, Maybe he didn't want to be seen by his crew of fellow law keepers. We don't know. Maybe he was trying to sneak out so nobody knew he was going to meet the famous teacher. Maybe he wanted some alone time to dialogue with Jesus. Or maybe he came at night as the writer named John who wrote this story reveals. It's just another way to see the darkness in Nicodemus' life. He came at night because darkness had covered his entire life. Well, this isn't the first time that Jesus has an encounter with people like Nicodemus. In fact, most of Jesus, as you read him on the pages of the New Testament, he's always being confronted by the religious group, by the people who know the law, and they're trying to test him. They're trying to see if what he teaches matches up with what God has always taught. This isn't the first time Jesus exchanges words with these religious leaders. There was a time laid out where where Jesus, there was, was a time laid out in the Gospel of Matthew, which is a few books before this one, where Jesus lays out what's exactly wrong with Nicodemus and all his people. It's in Matthew 23. You can write that down. It's the first book of the New Testament. It's just a few pages back from John to your left. You can read in that 23rd chapter how Jesus talked to the religious people. Now, I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to paraphrase what Jesus said to people like Nicodemus for the way they lived. He said this. You tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and you lay them on shoulders of people. But you're not willing to even help them. You're not willing to lift a finger to help anyone. He told them, you do all of your deeds to be seen by others. That's the only reason you're doing it, is so people would look at you and see how amazing you are. 
Jesus said about this group of people. They give the exact amount of money that the law requires. Even so much that they were tithing and giving their offerings from their spice rack, a pinch of mint and dill and cumin, just to follow the letter of the law. Yet, they neglected to act justly towards others. They did not act merciful towards others, and they were not faithful to their community. Jesus says they were like whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appeared beautiful. They had it all put together. But within, they were full of dead bones and hypocrisy. They appeared righteous and holy towards others because they kept the law, but within their body were full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is what Jesus tells the religious community. This is what law followers for salvation produces. started this church maybe just over a little, little over a few year, two years ago. And I think the number one thing that I ask and seek God about is that we would never hear these words if Jesus showed up to our church. That's one thing I think about. I pray that CityGate Church never hears, curse you, CityGate, because you've created a list of rules for people which they cannot keep. You've made it hard for people to meet Jesus and be saved. You've shut the door in the faces of people who desired to escape the judgment of God and had nowhere to go, so they showed up to your church and all you did was give them a list of rules that they could not follow. Curse be upon you, city gate. You thought your attendance at church and the offering of money would secure your place in heaven. You sit in those seats every Sunday, you receive the word of God, but you won't reach out to anyone who's suffering and in need of love. You're proud. You throw the Bible in people's faces as a way just to show them how wicked they are but you don't take time to explain how wicked you once were. Curse be upon you, city gate. Sounds bad, doesn't it? Curse. Hypocrites. You spend all of your time making sure people see your good deeds so they think highly of you, but you are dead inside. You appear perfect on the outside, but inside you are wasting away. You praise God with your lips, but your hearts are full of pride. You spend all your time making sure people see your good deeds so they think highly of you. By the way, this is why we put our phones away when we feed the poor. Church, the law of God was never meant to produce lazy narcissists like Nicodemus. That's not why the law of God was given. It was given so we may look into its perfectness. Then we would realize how how far we fall short. And so we would seek the forgiveness of God. Some of you here today were raised in this exact religious environment. Some of you were born in this environment. That if you wanted the love of your parents or your guardian, you must be perfect. You must act in this way. God never says that to anybody. He says, I already know how bad you are. (laughs) You don't have to hide it. I see everything. Hello, I'm God. Yet, I'm still going to send my son to take your place. Parents, by the way, don't raise your kids in this environment. They'll never live up to your standard. And all they'll hear from you is disappointment because they never met the standard. Some of us grew up in this environment. And this is religion. See, the Bible never talks about religion. The Bible doesn't teach religion. Nicodemus is a religious person. Can you see the difference? If I do these ten things, then God must love me. 
This is false. It's dark. This darkness of false religion has ruled the hearts of many people, including Nicodemus, and it rules the hearts of so many of us even sitting here today. Some of us still battle with this. And so it's under this veil of darkness, in this dark religion, where Nicodemus shows up to interact with Jesus. Now, right off the bat, it's funny, because Nicodemus does affirm all that he has seen and heard about Jesus. He's like, no one can do the things you've done. We get that, right? People are walking and dancing. They've never walked in their life, and all of a sudden, they're walking. Uh, You fed a bunch of people out of nothing. You just created things out of nothing, Kind of like God did in the beginning. When you teach, people listen. There's an authority about your teaching. There's a truth about your teaching. And I will affirm that, Jesus, you, you're from God. But still, Nicodemus questions, questions like why and the purpose and the where about Jesus. He questions all of that still. And so what Jesus reveals to him next in the story reveals the miracle that we can all know and experience today and the miracle that we need to be about at this church. So here's the main point, and then I'll get into the miracle. Here's the main point about the entire story of Nicodemus. A few simple words. You must be born again. That's the crux of the story. That's the middle. That's what drives all of Jesus' words towards Nicodemus. So let's look into the miracle. Nicodemus shows up at night, says, hey, Jesus, we... I affirm this in you. I'm a law teacher. I know what this is about. I know what this God thing's about. And there's something going on with you that's amazing. How does Jesus respond? Verses 5 through 8. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is the flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 7. Do not marvel. Do not wonder. Do not get confused that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the wind sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The miracle of salvation as found only in the person of Jesus Christ, as revealed only through the word of God, is this. Is that you must go through a new birth, a second birth. If you desire to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The kingdom of God is not open to those who live according to their flesh, their good deeds, their law-keeping. Those heaven's gates, they're shut to you. Jesus exposes the good deeds of Nicodemus for what they are. They are just the desires of his flesh, the desires of his eyes. They are the pride in his life. None of that is from God. It's from the world. Another part of the Bible says the world is passing away with all of these desires. It's passing away. So Jesus explains to Nicodemus the key to his salvation is that he must be born of the Spirit. He must have a second birth, a new birth. Friends, that which you do or accomplish or attain, that's what you seek to do in this life for others, will not cause the gates of God's kingdom to swing open when you arrive. They're not going to see that. There is no level of moral living that will open the gates of heaven on your behalf. You will never be good enough to have the gates of heaven swing wide open when you die. I was almost thought like another way to get there, but there is no other way. Like you got to die first. So 
Nothing that you do, none of your good deeds will actually cause the gates of heaven to swing open. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that all he has accomplished in his life will actually create distance between him and God. It's actually not helping Nicodemus get closer to God. His law keeping and the way he treats others because of his law keeping has created distance between him and God. How many of us are here sitting here today? How many of us arrive today hoping that we will enter eternal life because of how we act or because we show up to church? How many of us are sitting here today just relying on the good things that we do? And Jesus would tell you, the deeds of your flesh, the acts of your service, and the morality at which you show others will never allow you to enter the kingdom of heaven. Church, we do things because of what God has done for us. We don't do things because of what God will do for us. We don't do things in this life and love all of our neighbors just as much as we love ourselves so God would look down and smile upon us and receive us. We do it because of who God is and because he loves us anyway. All that we do is a response to what we believe. It's not an attempt to earn something. That's called religion. So Nicodemus hears these words. He says, I must go through a new birth. In this new birth, this is the reason we do everything that we do at this church. We do this stuff so that the Spirit of God would seek those whom God has chosen for the new birth. The wind blows where it wishes, and you don't see where it goes. The Spirit of God is always at work. So we sing the Bible, we pray the Bible, we preach the Bible, because the Spirit of God is blowing where it desires. And then the Word of God, as preached and as proclaimed and communicated, will cause those who are in their sin to seek the forgiveness of God. And that, that seeking forgiveness from God, that is your key to eternal life. So this is what we do at this church. We do everything in accordance with this Bible. Because it's nothing that we can do. We can't manipulate people into the kingdom of heaven. We can't give them a list of rules to follow. Curse curse be upon us if people show up and we say, you better be cleaned up before you come in here next Sunday because we don't accept people like that. We don't have front rows for some and back rows for others. That's not the way it works. Now, some of you love the back row. That's cool. You guys, we're all lawbreakers. Do you get it? All of us break God's law. None of us could have kept it perfectly. This is what caused Nicodemus to, que- uh, to, to, to question Jesus. Nicodemus goes, wait, I need to go to a new birth. Here's what he says. How can a man be born when he is old? When you talk about birth, I'm old already. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Now, before you scoff at the man, he's the ruler of the Jews. He's pretty intellectual. This is not like he's confused. That's not what this, this means. See, Nicodemus has spent his entire life going through the system, hasn't he? He's taken all the steps. What he's saying is, I have to start over from the beginning? Wait, did I miss something at step one? I thought I was supposed to keep the law and then teach others how to keep the law. I'm the ruler. Like, I'm the man. I've made it. I've arrived. And Jesus says, no, you've got to be born again. And he goes, what? All over again? He's lived his entire life looking the part, playing the part. He is the good guy. He's lived his whole life attempting to earn his eternal life by how he's obeyed the law of God so he can then present all this before God. And what he gets is, you must be born again. See, Nicodemus doesn't need a new law to follow. He needs a new spirit to live by. Nicodemus does not need another law to follow. And either do you. You're not going to get some amazing revolutionary thing here at this church, just so you're aware. 
What you will get is the gospel is revealed through the Bible so that the Spirit of God can lead you to forgiveness. At these words, Nicodemus, who is the ruler of the Jews, it says, he's the man, the one who knows the entire law. He remains troubled in his soul. He doesn't know what to do. Now, I'm going to give you a little something later that I didn't give the first service because I forgot. See, Nicodemus actually, when you see the end of the story, we don't know what Nicodemus does. It actually never tells us. Never reveal, the Bible never reveals what Nicodemus' response was to Jesus. But later, when Jesus is dead, we see Nicodemus along with the disciples of Jesus preparing Jesus' body for the tomb. He became a believer. This impacted his life. He actually probably was a disciple the rest of the time. He's mentioned two other times at the end of the life of Jesus by serving alongside the disciples. That is really good news. So Jesus elaborates then by explaining the mission of God. He doesn't quite get why he needs to start over. He doesn't understand what the new birth is, so Jesus just continues. And by the way, the mission of God is to lift up the Son of Man. That's what we're going to see in a minute. But before I get there, I need you to know what this new birth also indicates. See, Jesus uses the analogy of birth because did anyone here have anything to do with their first birth? Yes or no? No. We didn't pick where we were born. We didn't pick what we'd look like. Some of us would have liked to, right? Some of you small in stature. (laughs) That's a short joke. We didn't didn't have any. We didn't do anything to do anything. with. We had nothing to do with it. Nothing. You know what Jesus says? You have nothing to do with your second birth. Stop trying, Nicodemus. You can't even initiate it. The wind blows where it blows, and God does what he wants. Listen, friends, the only thing that you added to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. That was it. Congratulations, you are wicked. God can save you now. That's the only thing you added to your salvation. Right? That's why the new birth analogy is so amazing. It just changes everything we think. And so Jesus presses in harder, verses 14 and 15. The mission of God, God's mission is to lift up the Son. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Son of Man is referring to Jesus. That's a name people called him. That whoever believes in him, referring to Jesus, may have eternal life. Jesus uses a reference to a serpent, a wilderness, and a man named Moses. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that story. That is a story in the Old Testament where at one point the people of God were camped in a wilderness and all these poisonous snakes started biting them and killing them. All right, sounds pretty horrible. I know. So God tells Moses, make a bronze serpent, put it on a stick, lift it up in the sky. And you tell people, if you believe that God will save you, look upon that serpent and you'll be healed and you'll be saved. And they were. They believed in what God had told them to do and they trusted in what God had told them to do. And so Jesus uses that same reference to himself. A new birth is only made possible when you look at the Son of God who will be lifted up pretty soon after these verses to be crucified for the entire world to see. That whoever looks up at the cross will be forgiven. That's the mission of God. Every line, every word, every story in this huge Bible that we struggle to read all points to the cross of Jesus Christ. All the Old Testament is preparing us for it, All the New Testament is explaining it. There is one mission that God has in this world, and that is to help the Spirit of God regenerate people, give them a new birth by having them look at the cross, because that's where we find forgiveness. 
The entrance into the kingdom of heaven is secured by the Son of Man, Jesus being lifted up on a cross. The only way we will be saved from eternal death will be to look upon the person that they crucified. That is Jesus. It's also been said that evil committed suicide when evil crucified Jesus. It did. The will of God was to send his son and then crush him on your behalf, even though you're a lawbreaker. He he never intended for you to earn his love. He intended to do all the work on your behalf. The forgiveness of sin and your new birth comes only through the cross of Jesus Christ. There is nothing else. That's it. And this is what Jesus is laboring to communicate to his friend Nicodemus. He says, hey, Nick, maybe he said that. Hey, Nick, your flesh, your desires, all of your accomplishments, it'll never gain you entrance into God's kingdom. It's only through the Son of Man and his accomplishment. It's only through what Jesus has done where anybody will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so he continues then. He presses even in deeper with verses 16 through 18. This is the clarity of the mission of God. This is the clarity of the message. It cannot get more clear than this, which is why these verses are talked about all the time. But most of us didn't realize they were part of this Nicodemus story. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God loved the world? No, for God so loved the world. And he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Here's the next best part. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he slash she has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is God's plan for salvation. That the Son of God would come and take your place because there is a law that you cannot keep and you were never designed to keep it. So stop trying. Notice what these verses do not say. You want to do that real quick? These verses do not say, God loves you so much, could you just figure it out and get it together? Right? A little guilt trip for some of you parents. We actually treat our kids like this, don't we? I love you so much, just be good. Guilty. I fed you yesterday. Be happy, right? Guilty. You're warm and you got clothes. Be nice to me, right? I'm excited for Christmas. Not if you ain't good, you're not, right? The verses do not say, God so loved the world, he just, man, would you just try harder because he's revealed his love to you? He's pleading with you. Would you just get over it? Whatever temptation keeps knocking you down, my goodness, figure it out. Stop your bad habits already. He's giving you the law. Duh. Just read it. They don't say that. See, God never says, just do better already. Not once does his message say that. So the mission of God is clear. He sends his one and only son to love a dying world and then to lay down his life for those who don't meet his standards. By laying down his life for those who break his laws continuously, let's be honest, continuously. By laying down and dying and taking the place of those who rebel against his ways, always. So here's why. I worked this story into the Love Thy Neighbor series because here is the implication of this story. 
We will go out of our way to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves if you and I understand how wicked of a person you are and how wicked of a person I am. That sounded bad. We will go out of our way to love our neighbor as ourselves if we understand how wicked we are and how great God is. But, but, if you live your life thinking that God loves you because of how amazing you are, then you will make everyone else in your life earn your love. You will make them earn it. You will look at them and say, well, why can't you just be like me? What's your problem? I'd love to love you and serve you and help you, but you're just over there and I'm over here. See, I'm the good person. You're the bad person. See, we can't even follow the second greatest commandment until we understand the gravity of our situation. We are wicked lawbreakers, and the only thing and the only reason that saves us is our new birth initiated by God, secured by the person of Jesus Christ. That's it. Can you imagine if we started a church and said, yeah, come on in, but next week would you look nicer? My goodness. And I saw what you did this week. Don't come back next week until you get that figured out. You know, there are churches like that in our community. You know what that is? That's evil. That's a work of the devil. That's not good news. And that's actually nowhere in here in regards to salvation. We will go out of our way to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves if we understand how wicked we are and how great God is. If we live in a way that shows others how thankful you are for the cross of Jesus Christ, then you will lay down your life for those who need to be reborn. I want you to do something, whether a family, a single, an individual, uh, kids or no kids, it doesn't matter. Everybody can do this. Is that you have a mission for your life. Make one. If you don't have one right now, right, you're like, my mission is to go to work and feed my kids. Like, I get that. That's cool, right? You're like, we're halfway doing it, okay? But, like, what do you exist for? What are you going to do with your life? What is the overarching theme that keeps you moving and keeps you going ahead? See, our family, the Gilfillan family, me and my wife, our Fab Five, and our dog, okay? Our mission is to lay down our lives continuously so people would meet Jesus. That's our culture and our home. That's why we spend the money the way we spend our money. That's why we do the things that we do. So our entire life is going to be spent laying it down, giving it up, sacrificing what we have so people would know Jesus. That's what we do. Maybe some of you are like, God, I'm a Christian and I... I love it. Amen to everything you've said. This is so great. And then Monday comes. Yeah, I know. And for some of you, like 2 p.m. on Sunday comes. Look, life happens. And see, if you don't have a direction of where you're headed, you'll, you won't stay on course. So here's the deal. If you know and if you have received the love of God through the person of Jesus Christ, then your life is to be characterized by the way you love those who also do not deserve it. Very hard. We do it imperfectly. We're not very good at it. But for the church, for the people of God, for those adopted into the family of God, sons and daughters of King Jesus, our life is to be characterized by that love. Imperfect as it may be, that is our life's call. And we don't do it so God will love us. We do it because God loves us, right? That's why we do it. So as we leave here this morning, think on these two things, okay? We're going to apply this now. Here's what you can do as you leave, all right? Here's what we're going to do. Number one, for some of you, maybe for the first time here today, stop trying so hard to earn God's love. 
Anxiety, fear, depression can be minimized with that statement. Because when you go every day wondering if God loves you or not based on what you do, that could leave you with some anxiety, right? That could really make you worry. If I die today, did I do enough? If I die tomorrow, have I done enough? What's going to happen if I, what if I stop trying to earn God's love? You didn't add anything to it. You can't make him love you, okay? You're not that amazing. Jesus is amazing. That's the whole point of the Bible. You're not that amazing. And this is a real issue for some of us, even those who are Christians. This isn't just for anybody who isn't a Christian yet, who hasn't admitted, I'm a wicked sinner, Jesus is really amazing, and I believe and trust in him. This is a real issue for some of us who claim to be Christians, and that's okay. Just know it and protect yourself from it by preaching the gospel to yourself, by reminding yourself that you haven't earned God's love, you can't earn God's love, he's done it for you. That's how you guard against this. Because if you live life this way, you will live religiously and it'll be really annoying. You'll suffer. Instead, believe on the Son of God and be saved. All other attempts to secure your place in heaven will only lead to your darkness as it did with Nicodemus. Friends, the light of the world has come. And the Spirit of God blows where it wishes. The presence of God is here doing his mission. Just engage in with that. Don't try to earn his love. Some of you today, for the first time, although you're not Christians, if you're led to respond to God in this way, here's the beautiful thing about it. There's nothing I can say that can make anybody seek Jesus. There's nothing I can say. That's why I usually just say what the Bible says, because it's safer that way. There's a lot of people where you'll get a much better message than this, by the way. (laughs) There's a lot of other churches. You know what you will not get? You will never get a better gospel because no one can preach a better gospel than anybody else. It may be someone who sounds better, but there's no greater message than what I just told you as revealed through the Bible. For some of you today, you actually need to realize and the Spirit of God is doing this work in your life in this moment right now where you say, I am wicked, I have broken God's laws, and I believe and trust in all that was done by the person and work of Jesus Christ. There really was a man who showed up and, who showed up and claimed to be God, and then he proved it. I, wanna, I want some of that. That's your response today. Number two. By the way, that was like kind of anticlimactic. That's a really good response. Yay, right? Yay, Jesus. Okay. You'll be saved. All right? We can talk about that. Number two, be transformed by the word of God. Okay? Now, this is really important because of the loud noises around us all the time, dictating how we're supposed to treat one another. Just be honest. You've already taken a side in something. Okay? I already know you have. We've all taken sides, and it's the wrong side. It may be the right side in the short term for this world today. Great. Guess what? The world is passing away. Jesus is going to return. Let's be about something even greater, okay? Be transformed by the word of God. Do not get sucked into the evil exchange of hatred that has dominated the national conversation about anything. Whew. I got an amen. Right? (laughs) Don't do it to make me happy. That was enough. Okay. Okay. Instead, read the Bible. Pray through the Bible. Sing through the Bible. And ask God to point you towards people who need a little light in their life. Right? That's what we got to do. We got to seek people who are living in darkness. We all know someone. We've actually tried to drag them to church, and they're not coming yet. That's okay. Drag them to church. That's cool. We drag people to church. I've been dragging people to church for years. 
We give away sweatshirts so people would come to church. <laughs> but see, the more you understand who God is as revealed through his word, actually, the more the passion starts to well up in your life to say, man, people have to hear this. This church wasn't started because there was a bunch of amazing, amazing families who thought, we're going to start the best church in Kalamazoo. Watch us do it. This church wasn't started out of anger because other churches sucked. This church wasn't started because we could do it better. None of that was ever on our minds. None of that was on our minds. You know what was on our mind? There was a mission that we're called to talk about. So let's talk about it in a place where there is no church today. That's why we're here. It's the word of God that transformed this group of people, like-minded people, so many years before the church was even started to say, if this Bible is actually true, what does this mean for everybody in our community? Let's go and tell them. So in the same way, your life, you can be transformed and to love people more, the more you understand about God. That's what you can do living here today. All right? So I'm going to pray and I'm going to close our message and then we're going to prepare for communion.